Hi, I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. Welcome to She Said, She Said. Today we're continuing our series on women-owned small businesses. I have a very special guest today. Her name is Sarah Ford. She's the CEO of San Angelo-based luxury boot company, Ranch Road Boots, and she has a fabulous story. She is a Marine Corps veteran, having served three tours of duty in Iraq and Afghanistan, a graduate of Harvard Business School, mother of two young children. She is fantastic. She's gonna talk to us today about lessons that she learned both in the Marine Corps and at Harvard Business School and how she is using those lessons to deal with and face the challenges that we face right now with this pandemic. Sarah, welcome to She Said, She Said. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so delighted to have you. Let's jump right into our conversation and talk about Ranch Road Boots. What is it? What is this company and why did you start it? Okay, I started it in 2012 and we look very different today than we did when I first started the business. Um, so we've gone through a few iterations. We're a footwear brand and our focus is on a very fashionable millennial female and Western boot lovers all over the world. So we're selling shoes primarily online now. When I started it though, we were a custom boot company. And I was trying to speed up development of custom boots. So back in 2012, uh, everything we were doing was custom boots. We had no inventory. And now um, we are basically everything's in stock and we no longer do anything custom. Yeah. You have a very interesting story in terms of how and why you started the business. You started this after Harvard Business School, but that was hardly the beginning of your story. So talk me through a little bit about your journey. You're a Marine Corps veteran. I know you're gonna appreciate my favorite coffee mug. I just got so distracted because I saw Ura on there. <laughs> I got Ura on the back and it's got Simplify on the front because I'm married to a Marine. <laughs> I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, so we've got all these nice connections in, in common. But talk to me a little bit about your story. After college, you joined the Marines. That's a you know somewhat unusual thing to do. I did right at the height of the dot-com frenzy. And I worked for Trilogy Software in Austin, which was a great job to get after, you know, especially in Austin. It was a great time to join it. It was exciting. But I would sit there and stare out the window at the landscapers. And I was like, I'd rather do that. Like I'd rather be outside doing something. I thought about doing construction like my father had um, in San Angelo. And I ended up, I just, I, I just had this yearning to do more. Um, and it hit me when I was, I was backpacking through Europe prior to graduating from University of Texas. And I went to the D-Day beaches and I was really moved by uh, the sacrifice of, of others. And I wanted to do more for my country. So I thought I could do that in a multitude of ways. I thought about teaching, I thought about joining the Peace Corps, and I thought about joining the Marine Corps. And when I was at Trilogy, I made an appointment with the Marine Corps recruiters, <laughs> and they acted much <laughs> more quickly than any of the other two things that I've considered. And so I found myself like, I think I just joined the Marine Corps. I called my parents, and my dad sat down. After we hung up, he sat down and cried. And he's like, she has no idea what she just did. Because my dad had been in the Marines during Vietnam. <laughs> and um, they were very proud and supportive of it. But but I I kind of, knee-jerk reaction, decided to quit my job and, and join the Marine Corps. 
So what were those early days like? Talk to me a little bit about your military service. And I know this was the period, as you said, just before 9-11, but you ended up in combat duty pretty quickly. Well, I joined, um, the, the timing is crazy. I joined in June of 2001. Wow. September 11th happened and I was at the basic school in Quantico and we weren't even qualified on the rifle range yet. So I stood outside a building for my duty one night with a flashlight. <laughs> we didn't have, I mean, we weren't even rifle called. Anybody that has gone through the basic school would laugh at that story because, of course, like, I mean, it's just funny. Second lieutenant standing there with a moonbeam um, guarding an entrance after September 11th events had unfolded. So it was uh, just an incredibly, all of a sudden, the Marine Corps, I mean, this is what we trained to do. So it was a very... Uh, exciting, I don't know if that's the word, but exciting time to be in the Marine Corps. I, 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 logistics was my, my occupation in the Marines and my duty station was 29 Palms, California, which is where 7th Marines is based. And so I, I deployed as part of that march up to Baghdad um, and, and then we thought we were done. <laughs> and I was right back there, like less than a year later, I was in Ramadi. And then I left the Marine Corps active duty in 2005 at the end of my contract. And I went and spent a little time on this kind of hippie farm, just again, seeking out adventure. It was in Costa Rica and I'd applied for one business school, it was Harvard, because I didn't have time to apply for anywhere else. But when, by the time I decided, oh, I should apply to business school. And, and so I found out I had gotten an interview at Harvard um, when I was in Costa Rica for a couple months, I only spent a couple months there and I came back and interviewed and then found out I got in and then went to business school. And then I got recalled. I got a, I didn't know that could happen <laughs> that happened forever, but I got recalled back to um, active duty. And so I deployed one more time to Afghanistan and I, I was an augment to the army to the, I was a Marine, but I was, I worked with the 82nd airborne in Afghanistan. So three deployments, and uh, I had gotten a job at Boston Consulting Group, and they were, you know, super supportive and great through that time, and went, you know, went to work in consulting after largely, I mean, it was a, it was a good uh, education for me, Boston Consulting Group, but also I had debt coming out of business school that I needed to tackle, so it was really helpful to pay that off. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit, Sarah. I mean, the story is incredible. Talk to me about leadership lessons that you learned. We are, all of us, uh, whether you're a small business owner or wherever you're sitting, you're facing unprecedented challenges right now with this pandemic and the, the fallout from all of this. And we'll probably be feeling this for a number of months, if not years to come. Talk about leadership lessons that you learned both in the Marine Corps and at Harvard Business School and how you're sort of drawing from that in this particular environment. Well, my, I mean, I was surrounded by so many great leaders in the Marine Corps um, to learn from. And the occasional bad one, you still learn so much from. And there, it, in, I mean, listen, when I was in Ramadi, it was General Mattis, General Kelly, and Colonel Dumford. I mean, that's, they were in charge, the three of them. I mean, out of a, a little base of maybe 800. So I constantly got to watch um, just really on my, you know, on my own team. They were part of division, but I was doing logistics. So we were co-located with them. 
And I, I just had um, amazing leadership to watch. And I think uh, the biggest thing was like how calm they were when you would, normal people would like panic if something was going on and how it was just like, you know, don't, don't run around like, like, otherwise you're going <laughs> to make everybody worry. So just little things like that. So now when, when your business is facing potential like annihilation from this, just in talking with our employees, it's, it's, uh, it's like, you have to just stay calm and, you know, we're going to, what are we going to look like when we get through this and try not to, I have to really try not to let, you know, any, any feelings of like, we're sunk type mentality feelings like bleed out to people who are trying to do their job and relying on your business for income for their family. And so, um, and also my investors, I mean, you just have to, you have to have a plan and so much of it's out of your hands, but you just have a plan and you execute on it. And I really learned that by watching um, great leaders in the Marine Corps. Yeah. I mean, that's, those are incredible lessons and talk about incredible mentors and role models to, to learn from directly. That's amazing. Sarah, talk a little bit about sort of where you sit currently and the challenges that the business is facing right now. What are you dealing with most of all and what's, what's most concerning to you right now? The biggest risk to my business right now is my, will be my inability to raise capital mm. because um, the in the near term the the SBA loan and the PPA, PPP program ex excludes 1099 miscellaneous employees and this why this is so important and the law was written so quickly that it's like now they're the probably rethinking some of these things. We are a small business that's starting, and like a lot of small businesses that are starting, we rely on uh, independent contractors, whether they're running Google ads or doing marketing or PR efforts. And so all these people enable a small company to have access to experts, and they work on their own time. They, they have maybe five businesses that they contract with. They don't qualify, even though we pay them you know, quite a bit every month. Uh, they will have to apply on their own to the to these programs. But if they're doing that, they're not going to work for me for free. I mean, there's goodwill there, but right. they. So the confusing thing in all this is really the employer should apply on their behalf so they can continue to pay them and they can continue to work for us. That is like a one pool of funding in the near term that's not available for a business like mine. Um, and, and maybe future iterations of this will be. The biggest, we were in the middle of raising money though. So Ranch Road Boots, I was in the middle of raising a $2 million seed round. And it was always difficult. It was an always difficult uh, process. I don't know if it's, um, you look at the, la you look at the amount of venture money that goes to female owned businesses right. and it's tiny. And, and so it was always hard, but now, People that might invest in my business, their extra money has disappeared as well with the stock market and maybe all of their investments. So the really the biggest risk is is uh, my inability to raise new money. And my current investors, you know, they're all going through their own struggles with with their own businesses. And so that's like that's my you know, that's my biggest concern. On the positive, we have inventory to sustain us through this year. We have uh, the ability to shut down our expenses quickly. 
Um, so I can like weather the storm. And we, we had a lot of momentum. We can continue to do brand building and we can continue to ship orders and provide great customer service. So we can get through this if I can continue to, you know, to get enough, you know, to raise new capital. Yeah. So your, what about the manufacturing piece of the boots? I know historically you've relied on a manufacturer out of Spain, which was, you know, the whole country has been incredibly hard hit. Right. Talk to me about the manufacturing piece of this as well. We, we work with a, a wonderful factory in Spain. It is currently shut for the month of April and expected to reopen in May. So our fall collection will be not a one hit dropped in September. We'll, we'll do smaller capsule collections and we'll release it over the, you know, I don't know, maybe actually a better way for doing business going forward anyway. So it, it might, that actually might be a, a, you know, a positive development in how we release collections. Um, I have said uh, before, I'm a little agnostic on where we manufacture, provided that it's uh, um, a quality work environment. It's not a cruel place to work. That's what I care about. Where in the world it is, um, we, you know, we have a luxury product, and so the quality needs to meet that. If I could make it in the U.S., I would. Um, Mexico is not off the table for us. And right now, though, we're getting the volume we need and the quality we need out of Spain. So I'm not in a huge hurry to change that. I would love, I moved to San Angelo. My business is headquartered here. I would love to have, if, you, if we had a uh, high volume popular product, you could set up a small factory making that here. Um, it would take capital though. So it's, uh, you know, that, but that would be, that would be, I think a great part of our brand um, and, and good for, good for this West Texas town to help also diversify away from oil and gas. Yeah, absolutely. The economic development, the opportunities for economic development in rural America would be welcomed, I would think. Yes. You talked about those great role models and teaching you calmness, but what, what is your toolkit for getting your anxiety under control? Because when you're anxious, you can't at the same time be creative and calm, right? It's sort of one or the other. So what are you doing to help you manage that and to stay in control so that you are exhibiting this to your employees and to your, net, your broader network? And to your kids, you're, I should mention too, you're the mother of two young daughters and you're also the stepmom of two, two uh, Yes, so I have two stepsons, they're twins, they're 16, and they live outside of Orlando, and I have two daughters, three and six, wow. that are here, and then we're also taking care of my mom with dementia um, right now, anyway, so there's a lot going on in, in the house. Um, my husband is just retiring from the Marine Corps, so we're, you know, we're, we've got a lot going on, <laughs> you do. but I will say, I'm I would think I would be the most panicky feeling now, but honestly, I, I'm pretty calm through this. And I think, I think it's because it's just so much of this is out of my, like, hand, out of my hands. Like I'm doing everything I can, but so much of it is, is really bigger than me. And I don't know if it's, if that provides some sort of like false peace or whatever, maybe real peace. I'm not sure. Um, how I manage my own stress just all the time outside of this or not 
Um, I like to work out outside. So I like to, I've been walking lately, but I like to run and walk, which I can do anywhere at any time. And so that's always been like a huge source of just midday around 10 to one. I typically get up and I go, go outside for an hour and do some sort of physical activity. Um, and then just fellowship with my friends. I, I talk to people a lot. Like I'll call my, I'll call my classmates from school and just, you know, I, I talk to people every day. Uh, and so maintain like that community. And then my husband and I like to cook, uh, drink wine, beer and cook at night. And that is like a fun, you know, listen to music and that's fun. Like, so we, we we're you know, those are the things, those are the routines we've always had that have helped me mitigate um, stress and um, and we're continuing to do those now. Yeah. How are your girls doing since they're so young? How, what are they understanding and how are you helping them manage sort of the, the difference in their life, right? Everything really changed almost overnight for kids. Well, they, I mean, the funny thing is we were planning on, um, we were moving from California to San Angelo before all this and we were planning on traveling in um, and working, I was going to work out of Europe for five months. And so we were, we were already had them in a homeschool situation because we moved from California and they're really resilient. Like they're, I'm not worried about them at all. It's a bit of a drag because well, we were in Scotland. And so we came home and it's a bit of a drag because we move them to San Angelo and now there's no kids. because <laughs> So they're kind of like, uh, you know, but I mean, they're just fine. Like they're, they we're on a, like an acre and a half and, no, you know, no complaints. Like they'll, they'll end up meeting kids once down the road a little bit, but right now there's plenty of trees to climb and dirt to play in and everything's fine. Like, like as far as my, my, that stuff, it's just, it's not, it hasn't really impacted them a whole lot. Yeah, that's great. So Sarah, I know you have historically donated a percentage of the company's profits to benefit veterans and injured Marines. Talk a little bit about your impact strategy historically and how that may change and evolve as a result of all of this. Since the beginning, um, I've always had a, a, a soft spot for the Semper Fi Fund. Um, they're low overhead and their direct giving to very quick to, to veterans in need um, has always been important. I started in 2012, so pretty intense you know, need at, at that time um, because of how, how, how combat operations were. So Semper Five Fund, I had like neighbors that, you know, they employ a lot of mill spouses, that, that, not a lot, but I mean, I knew people that worked there too. So I was just impressed with the organization. So we've always donated it. My own background was Marine. It was just a good fit. I would, as we grew bigger, love to do, and this is, it hasn't been scalable for us because it's very expensive, um, but if we could do boots for amputees, I think that would even be better. If I could do it through a, a charity, that would, that would be great. But like right now, we don't have the funding to really deploy it at a, at a large scale level. We have made boots for amputees in the past though. Now though, with um, this COVID outbreak, we, we, I felt like we needed to, to help support the doctors and Doctors Without Borders, even though it's not, uh, you know, originally, I think it was French, how it started. Um, it's really just, I, I feel like these, these health workers are helping the most in need. Um, they get killed in, in routinely in combat operations even. Um, 
and you know sometimes it's our fault and and I feel like the bravery of supporting people that are the most desperate for healthcare is some is a was a way that I could say thank you to the people that are healthcare workers even in the US it was a way to just a nod to 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 all of their bravery all of the the caregivers yeah, that's what we're doing. We're donating 5% of sales in March and April to Doctors Without Borders. Yeah. Sarah, what advice do you have for other business or small business owners and entrepreneurs who are really struggling in this environment? What advice would you have for them in terms of persevering through this and really drawing deep? What, what can you share with them that might be helpful? What has been helpful for me is talking to other small business owners or, or large business owners, because this is not a unique problem to any one company. And if you can learn what others are doing, I mean, calling the trash company and asking them for a delay, I mean, literally every $30, $40 that you can try to preserve right now, that's, that's like people that you wouldn't imagine with millions of dollars of revenue are doing things like that. And, 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 and so when you talk to others that are going through this same thing, that are entrepreneurs that are business owners, you can learn um, really how everybody's coping with it. And, you know, whether it's landlords or factories or employees, I mean, everybody's going to be affected by this. And so we're all trying to to give each other notice and heads up and like, hey, you know, this is what we're going through. But we all want we we want our whole ecosystem to stay intact because at the end of it, we're all going to need each other. Um, and so I, I really think it's important to talk to other business owners right now. Yeah. So historically, we've asked every person who's come on this podcast for a single piece of advice, a life hack, or a mantra, because the focus has been on personal development really broadly. And we talked to a really broad range of female voices from all different sectors and walks of life. I love to hear from them about what's their North Star? What's that one thing that they either wish they had known when they were younger or something that they always tell to people who ask them for a piece of advice? What would be yours? Okay, I have a, I have like a quote now since we've moved, it's like packed up, but it's a professor from the 70s at Harvard Business School, Howard Stevenson. I'm going to make sure I get all, we have to get all the quotes right for people. But I mean, it's, it's essentially the message is entrepreneurship is the pursuit of opportunity without regard to the resources you control. I, I find that so beautiful because if you don't have a dime, you can still build something. You, you can figure it out and build something. So if you're, if you're found, I mean, especially after this, if you're without a dime, if you find yourself without a dime, you get back up and you keep going. I mean, I watched the Carol Shelby Ford versus Ferrari thing and that at the end, it's basically what they said. Every time he, he get, kept getting back up. <laughs> And, and what a legend. I mean, what a legendary life. So I really love entrepreneurship and I've, um, and you can't avoid it if it is in your blood. Yeah. And I love that quote so much because it doesn't mean you have to come into it with knowing everything or having a ton of money. I mean, if you just have the drive and the perseverance, like you'll figure it out. Yeah. Where does drive come from for you? I don't know how to, I mean, it's so like natural and like just, 
it's like just I don't know it was maybe instilled in me as a young kid or it's just my personality um not wanting to quit has always been there and and I don't want to I don't want to fail and I don't want to let my investors down and I don't want to let my employees down so you know there's also I've spent nine years of my life doing this and I don't uh it is the, you know, it's a, it's, it's not a life's work, but it's a decade's work. Yeah. And so I don't want that to be, you know, wasted. And, it, and I've learned so much that the, there's no way that it, it's a waste, but I, I certainly would like to have um, some financial success coming out of it too. And my family for sacrificing <laughs> along with me. Yeah, I have great confidence in you. This is an amazing conversation, and I'm so happy to meet you on this platform. And hopefully, you and I will have a chance to connect either in San Angelo or here in the DC area the next time you're you're in the neighborhood and we're past this pandemic uh, and have all this stuff behind us. So, I love that. yeah, really, really great to have you, Sarah. Thanks for everything that you're doing and for joining us to share your story. Thank you, thanks so much for having me. To learn more about Sarah Ford and Ranch Road Boots, please check out the show notes for this episode, episode 98. And remember, you can also watch our She Said, She Said episodes, which we're recording via Zoom these days, on our YouTube channel uh, at shesaidshesaidpodcast.com. You can also listen wherever you download your podcast. Also remember, we're sending out a Friday newsletter each week, which includes not only a recap of each episode, but also some complimentary materials that we think you'll find really helpful, interesting, and informative. As always, I appreciate you listening and watching, and I love your feedback, so please keep that coming. And thank you from the bottom of my heart for being part of this amazing and growing community of fabulous women and even a few men. Take care of yourselves, be well, and I'll see you next time.